ever wonder what godly manhood is supposed to look like in the life of a believer? Are you a parent and wondering how you can raise your boy into a godly man? Are you a man and you're wondering why your wife nonchalantly sent you a link to this episode? Wink, wink. (laughs) Then we're so glad you're joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Katie Morgan, and welcome to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. She speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. You can check out her parenting resources and find out when she's speaking in or near your area at gingerhubbard.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to help support our ministry, one way you can do that is by purchasing Ginger's resources directly from her website instead of from other online retailers. And stay tuned until the end of this episode to receive a discount code on your purchase at gingerhubbard.com. Thank you so much for your support, listeners. This enables us to further our mission to help parents reach the hearts of their children for the glory of God. Do your kids just love getting mail? Do you go to the mailbox with them and sift through the mountain of paper like coupon for mold removal? Yeah, don't need that, hopefully. Electric bill, ouch. Bathing suit magazine you didn't request, um, no thank you. But what if your kids went to the mailbox with you to find an engaging current events magazine just for them, presented from a biblical worldview? God's World News is just that and so much more. They offer bi-monthly print magazines and corresponding online content that will walk your kids through current events in age-appropriate ways, from toddlers all the way to teens. Just go to gwnews.com ginger to get a free copy of God's World News. Again, that's gwnews.com ginger to help your kids build their news literacy so they can better live out the gospel. Well, hey there, listeners. Before Katie and I introduce today's guest, I want to let our female listeners know that this episode, even though it's in honor of Father's Day, is also for you. We're going to talk with our guest about biblical manhood and what that means. But we also want you ladies to hear how we can support our husbands and fellow brothers in Christ in their high calling as men. And since this is a parenting podcast, we want to also talk about how we can raise godly men. So Katie, tell our listeners a little bit about today's guest, because I know he's someone uh, that you and your family have grown to admire personally. Well, I'll give you Josh's official bio in just a minute, but I want to give you the most glowing personal endorsement I could give. When we first moved from Alabama to Georgia in 2021, we were very prayerful as we searched for new church. And our first Sunday at Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Athens, Georgia, we got into our car to leave, and my then 11-year-old boy said, I learned more in that sermon than I ever have. And what's amazing is that all five of us felt that way, leaving that service. And since that day, we have had the privilege of learning from and worshiping with today's guest, J. Josh Smith. Josh has been the senior pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church since 2018. He and his beautiful wife, Andrea, have four daughters and one son. Josh is the author of Preaching for a Verdict and co-author of the Psalm 1 through 50 volume in the Christ-Centered Exposition series. And something that Josh is too humble to tell us is that he received his Doctor of Ministry in Expository Preaching from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, haven't we all? So um, he's actually Dr. J. Josh Smith. Most notably, however, 
he is my pastor. So Josh, welcome to the show today. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's really nice. And I do think, Ginger, as you mentioned, if the ladies right now are deciding whether to stay tuned, just note what Katie said. I have four daughters. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. so he is a wise man. <laughs> he knows how to come. That's where you learned your communication skills. I'm not sure talking about that, to all those women. <laughs> but I do, uh, I care about men because I have four daughters. Mm-hmm. That's one Dyer. of the reasons. Oh, yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Josh, I've just heard so much about your church and how God has ministered to Katie and her family there. Uh, One of the ways that she's mentioned, and actually the reason that we chose to have you on this episode, is that you have written a book called The Titus Ten, Foundations for Godly Manhood. Uh, Can you just give us a brief overview of your book and tell us why you felt called to write on that topic? Sure. So when I was a first-time pastorate, uh, this was about 17, 18 years ago, I came to a church that still had charter members. Uh, These are men that had been there since the very beginning, and they used to tell me stories about things like uh, not having enough money in the offering to pay the preacher on Sunday so they would take money out of their pockets, going door-to-door selling church bonds to raise money for the church. And I just, I thought, man, these guys are incredible, and they were dying. I was doing their funerals, and I didn't see any other men like them. And I got really burdened and convicted, and I thought, I need these men, not just that love Jesus and um, love their families, but love the church. So I just started to pray through what that looked like, and the Lord brought me to the book of Titus. Um, We're going to talk about this more in a minute, but a highly dysfunctional church. The reason it was dysfunctional is because rebellious men had torn the church apart and were tearing families apart. And then Paul tells Titus, hey, the first thing you need to do chapter one, verse five, find godly men and put them in place. Hmm. So I started to take guys 10 at a time through the book of Titus, uh, verse by verse. And then over the years, it turned into kind of a 10 foundations for godly manhood. And last year, um, the book finally came out. And um, so I just, I love talking about the subject and the book of Titus to me is just a great manual for, for manhood. Well, and my husband, Brian, is going through one of these Titus groups right now, which has just been such a joy to see him come home. And that's, Josh, let me just go ahead and tell you, that's a big commitment for Mm. a family that homeschools and he works from (laughs) home and he works on central time. So that's an early morning, but it's just been such a joy for him to be a part of that. Uh, But Josh, there are 10 chapters in your book, The Titus 10. I like what you did there. And I honestly feel like we could do an entire episode on every single one of those chapters. You talk about dominion, identity, authority, character, mission, just so many great foundations of godly manhood. But if you had to briefly sum up biblical manhood, what would you say it is and what is it not? Because there's a lot of confusion in our world, even in the Christian community, about what biblical manhood is and what it isn't? Sure. Just a softball question. Yeah. Just really easy. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead, Josh. Thanks, just wrap it up. That. I'll just wing it here. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I think I would punch. say, yeah, I would say two things at first. I think about uh, 1 Kings 2, 2 and 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Both of those have really influenced me. So 1 Kings 2, um, David has given his final words to son Solomon and he says, be strong and show yourself a man. Uh, to be a man. And then 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith and act like men. So I think the first thing we have to say is there is there is something that's a manly quality or a manly character. There's something. Mm. So there is some distinction there. And David looked at Solomon and said to his son, hey, you need to, when you get to be king, you need to act like a man. And Paul said to the church in Corinth, 
You need to act like a man. You men need to act like men and be strong. So mm. there's something associated with a life that's distinctly manly. And so I think what I like to do is go back to Genesis 1 and 2, and we do this in the book, and notice that there is a difference between men and women. The difference matters. And uh, where culture gets this right is your identity, your um, gender is a part of your identity. Like it's a part of your core identity. Where they get wrong is you just can't choose it. But <laughs> the reality is like there's a distinction between boys and girls. They need to know that. I, I, I have a greater conviction of this after having four daughters <laughs> And then a son. The baby is the boy, and yes. Oh, my word. <laughs> and and then order having, matters too, doesn't it, Josh? <laughs> oh, my. I really could not believe. It's like, who is this individual human being mm-hmm. that's nothing like the other four kids I've ever had? Mm-hmm. So um, so there is a, there is a, there's a distinction. Mm-hmm. And so I would say what manhood is not is like bravado or manly skills. I, I, I joke a lot in my Titus 10 that my dad, like, did not know how to do Like, he couldn't fix a transmission or change oil or skin a deer. Like, he didn't know any of those. He couldn't fix anything. (laughs) But I always thought of him as manly. Like, he always seemed to be a man's man. And I couldn't figure out why for a long time. And so I think the two conclusions I've come to on manhood is it's kind of the the way I like to say it is the calling of Adam and the character of Christ. Mm. So this distinct calling of Adam to work and to keep, uh, to provide, to protect, to show leadership— um, I, I think you you get kind of this idea of, of what the calling was supposed to be originally in the original intention. And even just this sense of accountability after their sin uh, that God looks for Adam. I mean, just some of those basic things. And Adam, this is on you. So certainly there was some expectation from the Lord that he would be leading and protecting and guiding and providing in some way. So I think that's a big deal. Uh, one of the things I say to guys a lot when I talk about this idea of working and keeping is that the home should be better when dad's home. Like, it shouldn't get worse. It should be better. Dad should show up and the atmosphere be good because he's brought home the the leadership and all the things he's supposed to. And then I think the character of Christ, I just want to be careful not to say, even though we probably should, you know, manhood is looking like Jesus. Well, that's absolutely true. Like, the pursuit of manhood is the pursuit of Christ-likeness. I say that in the book. That's significant. But I think it is important to acknowledge there's this selfless, at the core of it, this selfless, humble strength. Mm. So there is bravery. I mean, we see the zeal. I'd have a whole chapter on the zeal that a man should have, which you see in the zeal of Jesus overthrowing the temple and uh, the tables in the temple, and there's courage and there's bravery, but everything is selfless. Mm. Everything at its very core is humble. And so um, a godly man is someone who gives himself sacrificially for the good of others constantly. Um, And so that's my yeah. definition of manhood in some way. Yes. Oh, that's so good. And, you know, we need to think about that as wives. I mean, maybe our husbands aren't so great. Mine is, actually. But some husbands may not be so great at fixing yeah. things around the house, and they need help to do that. But, man, is he in the Word? Is he praying? Is he giving of himself for his family? We need to praise our husbands. We need to look at those qualities, and instead of tearing them down for some of the insignificant things that really don't matter that they may not be able to do, if they're doing what really matters, if they're pursuing Christ and leading their families, man, we need to be praising our husbands for that yeah. and encouraging well, and Ginger, them I think, in that. 
that that goes back to why this episode would be for women to listen to as well. Because yeah. I think if a if a if a lady doesn't understand what a man should be or is, and she thinks it's that skills or the manly bravado or he should be able to do all these things, well, then she's going to be disappointed maybe in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, if a guy does all of those manly things, but he's not a man of character and he's not selfless and he's not humble and he's not giving himself sacrificially. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's not exactly what we're looking for. So that's right. Uh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, we had to call a plumber last week for a, a minor fix on the toilet. <laughs> but you know what? That's okay. My husband was up at four o'clock in the morning because he starts work at five, and he wants to spend that hour in the Word of God, preparing go. to serve and lead his family. And oh, call that just plumber. that just makes me want to cry. That's right. That's awesome. So call the plumber. Play, call pay the plumber, the plumber and praise your man who's pursuing the Lord. Brian's going to kill me for telling this story, but we literally hired our electrician. And while he was here, we were like, can you check that light in the basement? And it, it was the bulb. It was the, the bulb. bulb, y'all. The yeah. bulb. Yeah. It was yeah. something simple. Yeah. yeah. But, but Brian, too. He's one that he's pursuing Absolutely. the Lord. So that yeah. is okay. Yeah. Priorities. Uh, Josh, what do you see as some of the biggest obstacles for Christian men living out the call uh, to biblical manhood? And can you also give us some obstacles for Christian parents who want to raise godly boys who yeah. will become godly men? No, that's a great question. I mean, I think at the very um, kind of foundational level is that that men don't understand a manhood period. So they, they haven't been taught these things. So th- the book I wrote really is Foundations. I, I, I didn't want to get beyond that. I wanted to start with what's the core of what a man is. And we're, we're seeing scores of college students come through this. And one of the kind of issues we're having is they're coming through it. And then instead of leading like a table the next time, they just go through it again and they go through it again. <laughs> and what I realize is they've never seen this, most of them, in the home. They also um, don't have any basic understanding. I mean, where have they heard this? If the church hasn't talked about it and they didn't see it at home, where are they going to see this? So manhood is is a calling. This is, this is really a calling. And it is a part of your identity. And so at some point, someone's got to say to you, here's what this looks like. So... It's interesting to me, I think books on biblical manhood have reached academia. There's been a lot of conversations there. And they've reached pastors in that there's books that have been written for pastors to understand this. But I'm not sure it's reached anybody else. I'm not sure it's like reached down to the pew. And I haven't thought about that until just recently, that the books that I have that are not cheesy about men, (laughs) but the books that are good and substantive— have been written mostly for pastors, and I'm not sure a lot of guys are reading those things. So I think that's I think that's a hindrance. I think another hindrance is is fear. Uh, the culture I think has made men afraid to talk about manhood. Mm-hmm. I, I joke when I first start Titus Ten every semester, and I talk about dominion. I joke, but it's kind of not a joke. I'm like, I'm always looking over my shoulder to make sure no ladies are hearing us talk about this. Like, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble for talking about these basic things, even though the the theme of what I want to do is bless women. Like, that's I think that's such a big core thing for me because I have these four daughters, and I want them to have good men and godly men, and I want to be that. And so everything is my desire to, to, to bless women. And in the presence of good, faithful, godly men, women thrive. Amen. So mm-hmm. that's that's true. So, but I think there's a fear um, that, that men don't even know if they should be talking about these type of things. So, I think passivity is a big deal. Um, men are just really passive. I, I often say the two greatest weapons of the enemy against men—it's probably true of women too, but I say it for men—are isolation, mm-hmm. so they're not in context of community, and passivity. 
they're just kind of existing and they're not aggressively pursuing anything. Men just really tend to be passive. Mm -hmm. So I think that, and then I, I would say, I don't know how we don't want to go into this, but I think sexual sin pornography is defeating men, mm. women too, but we're talking about men. So, uh, I just think a lot of guys already start, they have this just underlying feel of defeat and discouragement. And so it hinders them from pursuing anything more. I think they just feel defeated already. Mm. Have you ever been at a total loss for how to explain to your kids some of the really hard things they've seen in our culture or in the news? Sometimes I resort to distraction, like, hey, who wants ice cream? <laughs> because I'm just not sure how to rightly respond. This is why I'm so excited about a new podcast that is stepping in to meet that need. The podcast is called Concurrently. And each episode is full of practical help so that we can teach our kids how to develop news literacy and biblical discernment. To find out more, visit concurrentlypodcast.com and you can listen to new episodes of Concurrently every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Josh, when Brian and I first moved to Birmingham back in 2014, we were looking for a church home and there was really one very popular church that was mentioned to us probably half a dozen times. And every single person without exception who recommended this church to us said something along these lines. We love this church because no one really cares if we're not there every Sunday. Every single person said that to us. <laughs> and I think that's probably one of the most heartbreaking endorsements I've ever heard about a place that is supposed to be called the body of Christ. First mm. Corinthians 12, 14 says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. But this church, whether fairly or not, had a reputation for being a church that was like, eh, I'm just a foot, they probably won't notice. And I mean, we wouldn't want our kids to be on a baseball team where the players were like, well, it's great because nobody cares if we show up or not, but somehow that's a ringing endorsement for a church. Oh. So Josh, I wanted to share that story for two reasons. Reason one is because your precious wife, Andrea, actually asked my husband where I was when I was missing several weeks in a row because mm. we had various illnesses in our family along with out-of-town commitments. And uh, when I returned, she said to me just how glad she was to see me back in corporate worship. And that meant a lot that she noticed, number one. And we have a rather large church, but she noticed, and then she came to me and said that, and that meant a lot. Uh, the second reason I mentioned this story is because you make a pretty bold statement in your book that men cannot fulfill God's design for their lives without being involved in a local church. So can you tell our listeners what you mean by that? Yeah, I would say looking back uh, on the writing of this book, it's this is the question I've gotten the most. So I have like a formulated email that I just send out every time I get a question about this because it's a lot. Um, I wish I would have articulated this a little bit more clearly as I think about it. And if I ever get a rewrite, uh, I'll do that. But let me just say a couple of things. So first, the context of the book of Titus, here's first generation believers who have never seen an example of godly manhood or womanhood. So we see this in chapter two of Titus, tons of dysfunction. The women are getting drunk, gossiping, going house to house, neglecting their responsibilities. The older men are a disgrace. There's no self-control. I mean, it's just bad. So even in chapter one, Paul says there are men that are teaching things that are tearing families apart. So entire families are being torn apart. So obviously one of the most significant issues in Crete, as Paul writes Titus, is the church and the families are a disaster. But the first thing he tells Titus to fix is not the family. He tells him to fix the church. Mm -hmm. 
That's the first thing. Mm. So in Titus 1, 5, he says, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to find godly pastors. That's the first thing. Well, how do you find them? Well, he gives the character qualities, and I've got a whole chapter on that. So here's the character. And then these men should then rebuke and silence the rebellious men. And then in chapter 2, he starts to go to more family things. And I think the reason is, is because if Paul would have tried to fix the family without fixing the church, he would not have gotten a healthy family or a healthy church. Mm. I think he would have missed both. But by fixing the church, he has now provided a place where families can learn how to be families and where health can begin to take place. So you might say, well, that's all first-generation Christians and that's a different situation. But it's really not. I mean, I just gave you the testimony of our college students. They've never seen this. Mm. Where's a college student going to learn how to be a godly man? Where's he going to learn how to love his wife? Where's he going to have any accountability, whether he's loving his wife or not? So that's why I just feel like the first order of priority is to get healthy churches that will then develop healthy families. So second of all, I would say you can't love Jesus without loving his church. That's like saying, I, Josh, I like you. I just really don't like your wife. <laughs> Which is impossible, by the way. Well, it is <laughs> The true. most likable person there is. We've heard the opposite a good bit. But, uh, <laughs> but you can't say that. And I feel like mm. people do that. They're like, I love Jesus. I'm just not a big fan of the church. Well, mm. try telling Jesus that. This is the bride of Christ. And it's mm. the body. There's tons of other things. But the fact that he chose such an emotionally charged word, the bride, to communicate this is significant. So I just, I think you got to be careful saying, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. Um, I talk a lot. This happened recently. I was on a panel with a bunch of college guys and girls and a girl asked this question. um, How can I find a godly man? What do I look for? And I said, well, first of all, find a guy who loves his church. Mm -hmm. She couldn't believe that. I said, no, if he's loving his church, he's serving his church, he's actively engaged, right then you're going to have some sense that this is a guy that's got things right Mm -hmm. uh, if he has a concern for the church. But I would just say, just finally, if you take passages like Ephesians 5, our model for marriage is the church, Christ in the church. Like it's always an argument kind of from the greater to the lesser. Like you need to learn how to be married by looking at Christ in the church. And I just think where young men learn how to be men and where they get in the context of older men uh, and they have some accountability, all of those things I think are happening in the context of the local church. So I just think if you try to get a great family but not involved in church, I think you're going to miss both. You're not going to get the great family. That's Absolutely. Yes. That, oh, that's just, that's so true. But Josh, I wouldn't be surprised if we have listeners right now who are bristling just to hear that because maybe they've experienced spiritual abuse or they can't find a church near them that meets all of their qualifications, or mm-hmm. maybe they're quite satisfied doing church at home with just mm-hmm. their own family, like we all got so comfortable doing during COVID, unfortunately. But Josh, I'd love to hear what you might have to say to dads uh, and their wives who might be listening about what they and their kids are missing if they choose to make being involved in a local church a lower or maybe even a non-existent priority in their lives. Sure. And I don't want to be insensitive. I mean, the things you talked about on uh, spiritual abuse or not finding a church that meets your needs, those are very legitimate things and probably deserve a separate podcast. So those things are real. I was talking to our staff on Monday just about a pastor that we know that had hidden sin and that became public and how everyone suffered and how much abuse was in that. I mean, it's just, those are just devastating stories. So all of that is real and need to be talked about. But 
let me just say a couple things. So first, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be snarky. I really, I think Katie knows I'm not snarky, yeah. but church at home is not church. The word church means assembly. So, so mm-hmm. like at its very core, the church is a gathering of brothers and sisters in Christ that has identifiable leadership. So again, back to Titus, the first thing you have to do is find leaders. There has to be elders. Like there has to be someone in spiritual authority. There has to be someone shepherding, leading, managing. Um, we have a Christian school here at, at our church, and one of the requirements is you have to have a letter from your church. Uh, and we had a family a few years ago. We've, this has happened a number of times, but this one I had a bunch of conversations with, basically saying, we do church at home, so we don't have a church, so we can't get a letter from our church. And they said, why is that a problem? And I said, well, how? I have the only one telling me that you're engaged and you're faithful and you love Jesus and you, is you. Like, I don't have any pastor telling me that you attend. Like, I have, there's, you have no accountability whatsoever. There is no one that knows if you actually do church. And if I ask your wife, she's going to protect you, she, probably. She's not going to say, well, we never do this. So I, it just doesn't work that way. This whole idea of doing this at home and not having a church is just not, um, it, it just doesn't work. You have to have the, and I would say this too. Think about this. A couple of generations ago, families seemed to be more connected. I mean, I don't think, Katie, I don't know if you have a ton of family around here. I don't, we don't have a ton of family around here. So where are young boys, young girls going to get these relationships with older men and women, which are essential to spiritual growth? Absolutely mm-hmm. essential. Well, they're going to get it from a church. They need to get it from a church. And let me just say, I thought about, just thought about this, this idea of spiritual abuse That's the context of Titus. I mean, the context of Titus is rebellious men who are false teachers, literally in chapter one, tearing families apart. And so that's real and it's painful, but the response of Paul was not, so send everybody home. The response was, let's fix the church. Mm -hmm. Let's fix the church. So I just... um, I just think if you're gonna if you're gonna learn how to give yourself sacrificially to others, if you're gonna have some models for manhood and womanhood, if you're gonna learn how to build a healthy family, you have to make a commitment to a local church. And you're never gonna find a a a, a perfect one. I mean, you just you, right, right. There's no perfect families. There's no perfect churches. That's so, right. I mean, Katie's is closed. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Katie's but, uh, church or Katie's family. <laughs> that's right. You know, it's interesting, Josh, because. I think earlier in my Christian life, I really, when we were searching for churches, it it had to check all these boxes and all these needs Mm. of mine needed to meet. And what I've learned as hopefully I've grown in my spiritual walk and, you know, we moved so many times with the military was no church was ever going to check all those boxes for us. And what needed to change was my heart and my engagement, because it's a lot easier to love someone and to love the people around us if we're engaged in doing life with them on a regular basis. If we're serving together, you know, some of those irritating things that really don't matter in the grand scheme you know, they, they go away. They no longer become a, a checklist item for me. Right. Well, and what if we treated our brides like we treat Christ? Mm. Like mm. we just, we're expecting perfection. We're expecting no issues. We're expecting no conflict. We're expecting right. no conflict resolution. Like this is the bride of Christ and it's made up of super dysfunctional people. Mm-hmm. And so there's conflict and there's no perfection, but we engage and we dig in uh, because it makes, it's not only makes the church better, it's part of how God develops us. That's right. We give the same grace that we ourselves have received. Absolutely. That's what we do with imperfect Absolutely. people. That's yeah. right. That's and imperfect church. Yeah. 
Well, Josh, so much of what we see on TV shows, in movies, and on social media depicts men, and especially dads, as these bumbling idiots who wouldn't be able to cope without their genius, long-suffering wives. We were and watching I, Raymond last night. Everybody loves know. Raymond. Oh. It is hilarious. Is a great but example it's, it's, of that. Yeah, but it's a little sad. It's fun to watch, yeah. but goodness, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. I've even seen memes at Christmas that say something like, you know, three wise women would have asked directions, arrived on time, helped <laughs> deliver the baby, made a casserole, <laughs> and there would be peace on earth. And that is just too stupid for me to even waste time talking more about it. But my question for you, Josh, is this. Because we're surrounded by a culture and sometimes even a church that undermines biblical manhood, how can we as women support, encourage, and uplift our husbands, our sons, and our brothers in Christ? Well, first, thank you for the question. It's a good question. And um, I alluded to this a moment ago, but I want to say it again. I've been, so I will, at the end of this year, just in three years, have taken 500 men through the Titus 10. Wow. Um, And I'm meeting with men all of the time. I'm convinced and this may be true of women, but we're talking about men. Most men already feel like they're doing a terrible job, mm. particularly at home. So what's interesting is, and this is a reason a man often avoids home, is, and we could do a podcast on that. Yes, which I love, But um, I think they feel affirmed at work. They feel good at what they do. They feel competent and they come home and they don't feel any of those things. Mm. So they don't feel like they're doing great as a husband. They don't feel like they're doing great as a dad. Uh, They've never seen a model. They're just kind of lost where they've been trained for their job. They've never been trained to be home. And so I just think most guys are walking around already feeling totally defeated. Because of that, I think the way a wife can then step into that is to affirm the things she sees that are positive examples of manhood. So, and again, every husband needs to do this with his wife, but, um, I just think when she sees little signs of, Hey, I love the way in which you talk to our daughter then, or you talk to our son or, Hey, thank you for doing this. Or I love it when you do that. Like that kind of stuff just makes you want to do that more as opposed to the constant, uh, potential for criticism, which is just feeding a man's sense of, deficiency anyway. So I just think those little words of affirmation are important. I do think, um, you know, there needs to be conversations. I feel like my wife is, has been good over the years at saying, um, you know, even little helpful things like, you know, I think we had to spend more time around the breakfast table reading the Bible, just little things like that. Uh, hey, I, I wish, you know, I wish we could pray together more, you know, and everything in me wants me to go, well, I don't want to do that. Don't tell me what to do. But, but <laughs> you know those, little, those, yeah, those little things are just helpful. That's mm. great. But man, when my wife notices something I did that was positive, you know, it's like, give us, it's like a dog. Just give it a treat, you know, like, hey, <laughs> you're doing good. Uh, I think that's too. And I think just kind of being thankful uh, for those little things. And then just looking to your husbands uh, for leadership. You know, um, there's simple ways I think you do that. Like even one of the ways I feel like my wife does this well at the dinner table when it's time to pray, she looks at me like she doesn't just pray. And sometimes, oftentimes I'll say one of the kids pray or you pray, but she just sits there and looks at me. It's like, that's like a really subtle but neat thing of like, okay, <laughs> mm-hmm. like it's it's on you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think doing the same with our sons, you know, looking to our sons to do some things they're called to do, uh, teaching them to work and affirming them in their work and affirming them when you see, even in your little boys, you know, some protection instinct uh, that may be manifested in a way that's not best, but there's some, any kind of times you see these things, just affirming the things you see 
that are the kind of man you want and want to raise, I think is really good. Mm. Can I turn it back on men real quick and say there are two things that came to mind as you were speaking, Josh, and in the same way that men so desire their wives uh, to point out those things they're doing well, something my husband does consistently, two things he does consistently. One is that he affirms, I mean, multiple times a day, my role as wife, mom, Mm. homeschooler. I mean, he finds, and I feel like I practically do very little around here compared to him because he's like a whirling dervish around me. But he finds every opportunity to affirm. So it goes both ways. And it's such a joyful thing when you're both doing that. And the second thing he does is what you just mentioned. He prays over me if I'm already asleep or with me Mm. every night at bedtime. Mm. And can I just tell you how difficult it is to be seething mad at bedtime and have your husband praying over you? It is not possible (laughs) to go before the throne and be holding on to some (laughs) stupid prideful bitterness I have in my heart for something dumb. You know, I mean, it's just not possible. And so my encouragement to men is pray over your wives every night before you go to bed. And it just, that has changed the course of our marriage more than any other thing I can think that has happened in our 18 years now. That's neat. Now is the part of our show where we give a quick tip for parents. And today's quick tip is courtesy of Josh. So what do you have for our listeners today? Well, I'd like to be funny, but in the context of everything we're talking about, uh, I I just think it's important to say, and I often say this when we do parent-child dedication uh, at church, is the greatest gift you can give your children is your own personal walk with Jesus Christ. Mm. Like, that's the greatest gift you can give them, apart from all the activities and all of the things just— when you walk with Jesus, the oh, it's John 7, the overflow of what's pouring into you will bless them more than anything else in the world. So just give your kids the gift of your own walk with Jesus. Mm. Amen. If you have a quick tip for our show, we would love to hear from you listeners. It can be any random tip about cooking, housekeeping, something you do with your kids, ideas for fun date nights with your spouse, anything at all. We would love to share your ideas on the podcast. Just go to gingerhubbard.com slash quick tips to submit those. Well, Josh, I just can't say enough about how thankful we are for the information, the encouragement, uh, just the the challenge that you have set forth in this episode today, just so godly, so Christ-centered, and I hope all of our listeners have been uh, challenged and encouraged. I'm about to go give Ronnie a big hug and kiss and tell him <laughs> all the things I'm thankful for that he does. I try to do that, but I need to do it more. Um, but we have just so enjoyed having you on our show today. Uh, where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your books? Sure. I mean, uh, our website at uh, church, PABC, Prince Avenue Baptist Church.org, is probably the best way to get in contact with me. Uh, there is a website, the Titus 10, which pretty soon uh, is going to have a lot of little videos about every chapter of the book. That's something Ooh. we're working on right now. Yeah. Um, but the best way to get a hold of us is just through the church. And I'd be happy to help in any way. I get a lot of emails and be happy to respond and encourage churches or pastors in any way I can. Josh is not one for the socials, not on many of the social media channels, are you, do. Josh? I got five kids in a church. I don't need social media. So. That's right. Hey, I got enough drama that. without that. Uh-huh. Hey, can I put you on the spot? Can you think of any good, other good books you could recommend for dads who just want to, who are hungering for more, who want to hear more? Obviously, God's Word. Um, outside of that, do you have any good books to recommend or resources? Yeah, outside of the pastoral epistles, I'm always telling guys to immerse themselves in Titus and First and Second Timothy. Um 
Honestly, it's funny. I, I love Tony Evans' Kingdom Man. I, I feel like that's been really helpful to me. Um, I don't know why. I think it's just got some distinction that I like. Uh, the Measure of a Man by Gene Getz is an old book, but helpful. What he does is he basically believes that all of the qualities for an elder are the qualities for every man. Mm. Uh, so I find that really helpful as well. Um, um, yeah, those are the two that Great. come on top Thank of my head. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never heard of either Good. of those. All right. That's awesome. So we will be sure to uh, have Heather put links to everything we talked about today in our show notes um, so that you guys can find them. Well, Josh, for the men listening who want to be more godly men and for the wives who want to honor and respect their husbands and for the parents who want to raise up the next generation of godly men, can you leave them all with a final word of encouragement? Yeah, we we need godly men just like we need godly women. And um, I have a passion to see women thrive, and they thrive in the context of really faithful, serving, humble, godly men. And so all of us working together to try to develop those is really important. The church is the key place in which we do that. And so I would just say to the men, fight passivity. Just fight the temptation to not make progress and just start moving in practical ways towards manhood, inviting people into your life, uh, and start pursuing that, which is a part of your core calling and identity. God has made men and women on purpose, and they're both beautiful and distinct and a wonderful gift uh, when they are working according to God's plan. Thank you so much, Josh. And thank you, Ginger. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today. If you enjoyed our show and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And while you're there, can you leave us a rating or a review? This helps us get the word out about our podcast so that other parents can be encouraged to reach the hearts of their children. You can find our show notes, which will include links to anything we mentioned in today's episode at gingerhubbard.com. And while you're on gingerhubbard.com, you can also find Ginger's wonderful resources that will help you get to the heart of outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. Today, we're offering Ginger's best-selling parenting book, Don't Make Me Count to Three, A Mom's Look at Heart-Oriented Discipline, as well as the six-week study guide at a 10% discount when you use the code parenting at gingerhubbard.com. If you'd like daily encouragement and parenting advice from Ginger, follow her on Instagram at ginger.hubbard. And you can connect with me on Instagram at Katie in a corner. That's K-A-T-Y in a corner. Thank you for joining us today, listeners. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to reach the hearts of your children for the glory of God.